We're going to be looking at Psalm 90 tonight, verses 10 and 12, as we think about the theme, the good life. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, he that would love life and see good days. I think all of us want to, want to enjoy what could be called a good life. It's my belief and conviction that a good life is a God-centered life. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're looking for happiness and success in this life. Sadly, they're looking in all the wrong places. If you want to enjoy life, if you want to have what the Bible describes as a good life, then I encourage you to live a God-centered life. In our study tonight, the first thing I want to do is talk to you about the brevity of life. And that's found in verse 10 of Psalm 90. And then in the second place, we're going to talk about the better life. Because what some people don't know, there is a better way to live. And as I said just a moment ago, the better life, the good life, is a God-centered life. So we begin, we begin by talking about the brevity of life. And really, as we think about the brevity of life, what we're accentuating or what we're trying to emphasize is the fact that we are passing quickly from this life. The song that we sang a moment ago, time is filled with swift transition. Whether we like it or not, time rolls on. There's nothing that you and I can do to stop the forward progress of time. Listen, if you would, to what the psalmist said, the passage that was read a moment ago. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. If this verse teaches anything, it teaches us the brevity of life. But there are a couple of things that I want us to think about in connection with the brevity of life as we think about the short span of time that we have to grace this earth. First of all, I would call attention to the fact that there are duties in this life. The Bible tells us in verse 10, and this is the psalmist speaking, and many believe that Moses was the penman of this particular psalm. But the psalmist said the days of our years are 70 years, if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor. You and I, we live in a world that is filled with labor and toil. And there's a reason for that. If you go back and look at Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had fallen in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam in the long ago, in the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Many of us, we log 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Why is that? Because we understand the importance of providing the physical necessities of life for ourselves and also for our family members. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that we are to labor or work with our hands. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 
chapter two, talked about surveying the work of his hands and examining the toil of his labors. And he said his conclusion was, it's all vanity and the grasping after wind. The bottom line is this, those of us who live on planet Earth and those of us who seek to provide for our families, we understand we have to work to earn a living. Now I understand that there are a lot of people in our world today, they're not interested in working. What they want to do is live on a handout. They want the government to provide for them or they want somebody else to provide for them. Well, what God intends for us to do is to work, to labor, to toil, to make an honest living, an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Now, having said that, I understand that we have a lot of young people that make up this congregation, and in light of the fact that we have to work, that there are certain duties in life, I would offer a couple of suggestions. Those of you who are young, I would encourage you, in light of the fact that you're going to have to spend the better part of your life working in some particular profession, I would encourage you to find a profession that you enjoy. I would encourage you to find some type of occupation that you will enjoy getting up in the morning and going to. There are a lot of people in our, work, in our world today, they literally hate their job. I feel very fortunate because I don't hate my job. I love my job. And really, I enjoy getting up every day coming to work. Well, there are a lot of people that don't have that luxury. Somebody said on one occasion, sometimes we say that that life is too short to engage in things we don't like to do. Well, the other side of that coin is life is too long to engage in things we don't like to do. And so to those of our young people, I would say find an occupation that you will enjoy getting up going to every day because you're going to be doing it day in and day out for the better part of your life. The second thing I would encourage you to do, and I learned this the hard way, it's easier to use your brain than your back. My folks have reminded me of that statement on a number of occasions. When I was in high school, as a matter of fact, my senior year, I got a job at Coca-Cola. And I worked there during, well, the latter part of my senior year, and then for about three years while I was going to college. And it was literally back-breaking work. And I came to the conclusion there has to be a better way to make a living. And so I, I think I, I told my mother or my father, you know, I've come to the conclusion it's easier to use your brain than your back. So my encouragement to you, try to find some type of work that you can use your brain and not necessarily your back. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to, to engage in, in hard physical labor. I've done it, a lot of you have, have had the opportunity to do that, some of you may still do it. But what I'm saying is, those of us who are parents, we want better for our children, don't we? And so our encouragement, my encouragement is, find something you want to do and then go to school, get a good education and use your brain. So, the duties of life and then the difficulties of life. Listen again to what the psalmist said in the long ago. He said, yet their boast, that is, our lives, are only labor and sorrow. Life is filled with difficulties. If you don't believe that, 
Just look around. There are a lot of people all over the globe that have had and are having any number of difficulties in this life. Listen, life is not easy. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Paul would say in Romans 8 verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world, Paul talking about the sufferings of life. Paul understood what it meant to face hardship, trial, difficulties. And the longer you and I live in this world, the more we are going to be confronted with trials and tribulations. I think back over the past year, I've seen a lot of people that have had a lot of heartache. I have talked to people. I have visited with people. I have counseled with people whose lives have been anything but pleasant from time to time. If the Lord allows this world to continue on, I am certain, I'm sure, that 2012 will prove no different. Why is that? Because we live in a world that is subjected to heartache, to trials, and to suffering. And so you and I, we have to expect it. What's the old saying? To be forewarned is to be forearmed. It may be the case that you have been diagnosed with some type of illness, some type of disease, and you are now grappling with that. It may be the case that over the course of the next year, you are, you are going to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with your physician, and he's going to tell you, look, you have got some type of very grave illness. So there are a lot of, lot of problems that we face in this life, and you and I, we have, to, we have to expect those things. Why? Because that's what life is all about. And then there's a third thing. And that is the duration of life. Listen again to what the psalmist said. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. Now this is no ironclad rule. The psalmist is not saying that you and I are assured of 70 years or 80 years. What he is saying is that we may live to be 70. We may have the opportunity to reach the ripe old age of 80. But note, if you would, what he says. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. What do you think the psalmist is saying there? I think what the psalmist is saying is, you better enjoy life right now, because before you know it, it's over with. Do you remember what David said in the long ago, I was young and now I'm old? I think about those words all the time. Life will get by you in a heartbeat. There are, there are, well, there are some of us here tonight that can identify with the sentiments of previous generations who have told us the older you get in life, the faster time goes by. I promise you that is true. The longer you live, the faster life goes by. The psalmist here is saying life is very brief. You remember what Job said in chapter 14, verse 1? Man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Job is simply saying, look, you're not going to be here forever. And since you're not going to be here forever, you better not lock your wagon 
to the world. You better understand that you're here today and you are gone tomorrow. The Bible tells us it is appointed unto man once to die. After this cometh the judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. And then James in the long ago compared life to a vapor. He said it appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So we're only here for a very brief period of time. So what, what do we have to do? We have to make the, the most of every day. As Paul would say in Ephesians 5, 16, redeem the time for the days are evil. Make the most of every day. Make every day count. So having said that, as we think about the brevity of life, I want, I want you to now think with me for a moment or two about the better life. Is there a better way to live in this, in this world? I believe that there is. I think that there are a lot of people in our world today, they misunderstand what life is all about. And, and really, they misunderstand they misunderstand many things connected with life. So, what about the better life? I said a moment ago that the better life is a God-centered life. And so, let's begin by first of all, setting forth this, this thought. Live life with a sense of priorities. Now, having said that, look at what the psalmist said in verse 12. The psalmist has just said the days of our years are 70 years, possibly 80 years, but it is soon cut off and we fly away. So in light of that, here's what he says. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. The psalmist is saying what you and I need to do, we need to use our time wisely while here upon this earth. We need to make the most of every day we need, to, we need to enjoy life. We need to seek the better life. So how do we do that? First of all, we have to live with a sense of priorities. I want to ask you tonight, how does your life stack up in relationship to your priorities? Well, let me just ask this question. What are your priorities in life? I said a moment ago that all of us have certain duties in life. We have certain things that we have to do on the job, in the home. There are, there are family obligations. There are a lot of things that are tugging at us. So what are our priorities? What are your priorities? Let me, let me encourage you to prioritize your life in this order. Number one, you and I need to put God at the apex of our lives. That means at the very top, we need to have the Lord. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, they need to be at the top of our priorities. Now Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you in Matthew 6 verse 33. I, I wish that there I wish that there were some way that I could impress upon people the importance of putting God first in their lives. This morning I made a plea for people to give themselves, I made a plea to all of us to give ourselves to the Lord. And in giving ourselves to the Lord, what we're saying is, 
God is first. He is first and foremost in my life. God demands nothing but the very best. God expects the very best from my life. That means he wants to be number one in, in terms of my affections. I am to love him with all of my heart, soul, and mind, as Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37 and following. He is to be my life, Colossians 3 at verse 4. Now, in order for me to put God first in my life, I have to understand some things. One of the reasons people do not put God first in their lives, one of the reasons people are not present every time the church assembles, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, is because in many respects, they lack what I would call love in their lives. If you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, you'll be here every time the doors are open. It's about developing a sense of affection. Is it not the case that our, that our presence or lack thereof is a reflection of our affection? And so putting God first, when I come to understand what God has done for me through Christ, when I come to understand the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, and all the great benefits and blessings that are bestowed on me as a child of God, then it's not a matter of will I put God first, I'm going to put him first. Do you remember what John said in 1 John 4 verse 19? He said we love him because he first loved us. Or what about Paul in Galatians 2 verse 20 when he said, speaking of Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why Paul would, would be willing to literally lay down his life for the cause because he loved the Lord. So put God first in your life. And then secondly, I want to suggest put your family right underneath your service to God. Because the Lord would have you put your family, he would, have you, he would have you put them in a preeminent place in your life. So we talk about putting God first and then we, we talk about putting our family, our mates, our children in the next place. How important is your family to you? I want to encourage you over the, over the next year, over 2012, Spend time with your family. Spend time with your children, your grandchildren. Life is short. Tell your family members how much you love them, how much they mean to you. And make it a point to build your home on the Lord. Be like Joshua of old who said, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Think about a triangle for a moment. At the top of that apex, you have God. And then at the two bottom angles, you have the husband and wife and you have the children behind them. If the husband and wife are striving to the best of their ability to draw closer to God, what's going to happen? They're going to draw closer to one another, aren't they? So if our family unit is what it ought to be, then we're going to be pleasing in the eyes of God. So prioritize your life. Put God Put God first. Make him your life. And then 
behind God, behind the Lord, put your family. And then everything else falls in after that. Your job, your country, your civic responsibilities, your hobbies, whatever the case may be. But prioritize your life. There's a second thing. Live with a sense of purpose. Live a purpose-filled life. Did you know there are a lot of people in our world today, they have no idea what life is all about? There are a lot of people, if you were to ask them, if you were to pin them down, what is your life all about? You know what they would tell you? I do not know. What's your life all about? Let me ask a second question. What should your life be all about? There are a lot of people, if you were to ask them, what's your life all about? Some would say, I don't know. Others might say, well, my life revolves around my job, around my career. For some, it might be school. For some, it might be some particular hobby, hunting, fishing, golf, whatever the case may be. What's life all about? Is it about making money? Is it about materialism? Is that, what, is that what life is all about? Read the book of Ecclesiastes and look at the life of Solomon. Solomon tried it all. Solomon came to the startling conclusion that life is about one thing. He said, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. That's what life is all about. Living for God. Now again, we talk about Prioritizing our lives. And, and listen, these points, they go hand in glove. When we prioritize our lives, then we come to understand what our purpose is here on earth. How many people, how many people in our world tonight, their life is about their career. It's about making more money. It's about buying more land. It's about watching their bank account grow. It's about climbing, climbing higher in the political realm, in the political realm. It's about this, it's about that, whatever the case. Listen, life ought to be about God. And you and I, we have to understand our purpose here on this earth. If we understand our purpose, then we're gonna be what God would have us to be. Now look again at what the psalmist said in verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Those who are wise understand what life is all about. We understand our purpose. We understand why we're here. There are a lot of, there are a lot of folks in our world today, they have no idea how they got here. They have no idea what they're doing here. And sadly, there are a lot of people, they have no idea where they're going. And yet Christianity answers all three of those philosophical questions. We know where we came from. We came from a loving God. We know what we're doing here. We're here to glorify God, to live in submission to his will. And then we know where we're going. We understand we're heaven bound. There's a third thing I would suggest. And that is live productively. Make something of your life. Wouldn't it be a shame to live 70 or 80 years and have no impact in this world? Make something of yourself. You and I, we have the, the opportunity, the privilege of making something 
of ourselves. We have the opportunity of making valuable contributions in this life. I think about our young people. We have young people here today that, that are building on a foundation. Our young folks can be something in this world. They can make great contributions in the world in which we live. Some may be preachers, some may be teachers. Some, some may marry preachers or teachers. Some, some may be doctors, lawyers. Some, some may, well, you fill in the blank. But we can make something. We, we, can, we, can, we can build something for ourselves and for those around us. When I think about living a productive life, I want to say this. It's good to make contributions in the social realm, in the material realm. It's good to make contributions to sports, to entertainment, even in the work world. But ultimately, what we ought to do you strive to live so that we live a productive life to the glory of God. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 15? He said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Live a productive life. Make something of your life and influence others. And this really leads us to the fourth thing. And that is to live with a presence. You have an influence. I have an influence. Use that influence to the glory of God. Make the world in which you live a better place. When, when you leave this earth, wouldn't it be great to know that you left it better than you found it? There, there are a lot of bad things going on in our world. I look around and sometimes I just, well, feel overwhelmed at some of the things that go on, not just in the world, but right here in the Mid-South. I look at some of the problems that people have in this world. Problems with their marriages. I think about problems that people have with their children. Problems that people have with one another. The heartache, the bloodshed, the crime all of the things that make up what we call the world in which we live. Did you know that you and I can make a difference? We can change this world. We can change this community. Somebody might ask the question, how do we do that? Let me tell you how we do it. One person at a time. One person at a time. Identify somebody in this world. Identify somebody in this community and begin influencing them for the better. Let me give you a couple of examples. Go back and look at the life of Noah. Noah lived in an ungodly world. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6 at verse 5 that every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. Because of that, God was grieved in his heart. Here is the crown of God's creation, and he is grieved over what he sees. And yet here's Noah. 
and Noah stands head and shoulders above the world in which he lives. The Hebrew writer said, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. We talk about living with a presence. Start with your own family. If you don't do anything but save your own family, let me tell you what, you are on good ground because that's what Noah did. Let me give you another example. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, the apostle Paul talked about Timothy. And Paul reminded Timothy of the faith that dwelt first in his grandmother, Lois. And then he said, in his own mother, Eunice. And then he went on to say, and am persuaded is in you also. So here is Timothy. He is a third generation believer. In other words, he is a believer in Jehovah God. Who was responsible for that? His grandmother and his mother. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, and that from a baby, and that from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Here is Timothy's godly grandmother and mother, and what are they doing? They are tutoring him. They are schooling him, if you please, in the Word of God. Did they make a profound impression on his life? You better believe it. Timothy became a great evangelist for the cause of Christ. So you and I, we can make an influence, or rather we can be an influence for good in this world. I want to ask you this question. Number one, are you going to heaven? Candidly, honestly, without reservation, are you going to heaven? Yes or no? It's a yes or no answer. Are you going to heaven? You are either going to heaven or you're not going to heaven. You can either unequivocally say right now, I know I'm heaven bound, or you can say on the other, other hand, I know I'm not going to heaven. Are you going to heaven? Let that sink in. Are you going to heaven? Do you know, do you know without a shadow of a doubt you're going to heaven? Here's my second question. Who are you going to take with you? Who are you going to take to heaven with you? There are a lot of great things that come to my mind when I think about heaven. But let me tell you what really, I guess, really gets to me when I think about heaven. I think about being with people that I have known and loved down through the years. I think about seeing face to face people like my grandmother, that because of her, I'm a Christian today. I think about seeing my grandfather. I think about seeing so many people that I've known and loved down through the years. Now, granted, to be in the presence of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around that. But to know, but to know that I will be in the presence of people that I have known and loved down through the years. Are you going to heaven? And who are you going to take to heaven with you? Noah influenced people for good. 
Lois and Eunice, they influenced Timothy for good. I want to say to you, live with a presence. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. There are people in this community that could quite possibly be in heaven one day because of you. Let me share with you a real life story in closing. In September this year, I had the opportunity to conduct the memorial service for Danny Treadway. Danny Treadway was a member of the Lord's Church because of Janet Walker. She took an interest in him, spiritually speaking. Danny had cancer. Danny succumbed to that disease. But Danny will be in heaven because of the actions of that woman. Now I want to ask you, who are you going to take to heaven with you? When Paul wrote to the saints in Thessalonica, he said, you are our joy, our crown of rejoicing. Paul looked forward to being with those people in heaven. So, the good life. Are you enjoying a good life right now? If your life is God-centered, it's a good life. If your life is not God-centered, I, I beg you, I plead with you. Just like I did this morning, start today. No better time than today. First day, the first month of a new year. Why not start this month off the right way? If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Believe that you need to do what God says in his word. Here's what he says. Repent, Acts 2, verse 38. That is, turn away from the life of sin. And then confess his name before others, Acts 8, verse 37. Be baptized into Christ. Every sin will then be washed away, Acts 2, 38. If you do that, God will add you to the church, and you will be well on your way to living a good life. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you're not a faithful child of God. I want to encourage you, come home. Haven't you lived a life of unfaithfulness long, long enough? Be honest. Sin's not what it's cracked up to be, is it? Living outside of Christ, there's no security in that way of life. Come home tonight. Do like the prodigal did. Come to your senses. I'll make, this, I'll make this deal with you right now. If you can't come down this aisle and you need to, if you make the first step, I'll come to you. Come now as we stand and sing.